day everyone, you're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 116. What could it mean? I'm your host Alex, and today I have the honor to have Emmy as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well, you know, still quarantining because this is the time of COVID-19, but otherwise doing pretty great. And I bet you it's perfect time for you to just get really into your hobby, right? <laughs> yes, it, it actually has. It's been about three straight weeks of me doing this nonstop. So yeah, it's been great. So perfect. Like we talked probably a few weeks ago and we got this settled. So I'm sure you have a bunch of more information to share with me. So I'm really excited for this. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. I'm looking forward to it. So we, before we stop or stop, before we jump into the topic of today, who is Emmy? You can give a short answer. You can say I'm a human or you can give a long answer like I'm a human with eyes. Okay. Well, I am a human. Thank God. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> no, I am. Um, I live in Georgia in the United States. Uh, currently, I work as a... I guess you, you could call it a digital uh, analyst, rather. So my job is to analyze things, and uh, that's kind of leaked through my entire life in different ways. And that's how I've ended up with this hobby, too. That's pretty cool. I'm, I'm so interested. I just really want to jump into it because I know just a very, very small amount, like enough to be like a dust particle. That's about it. So uh, I'm really excited for this. <laughs> but before we go into that even deeper, do you have any social media links or websites or projects or even cool websites that you like to go enjoy finding stuff? Uh, I do. It's currently in the works because I spend so much of my time uh, researching. I forget to do the other half of this, which is the presentation of what I do. But I have a website that is going to be, by the time that this podcast comes out, it'll be under Mythic Materials. If you search that in Google, you'll, you will find it. But if you want to hit me up on Instagram, that is also under Mythic Materials. That's my username. That's perfect. I'll put that in the description below. And this episode should be coming out in November. <laughs> I tend to record at way ahead of schedule because I have a little one on the way. So I know I won't be able to record while the little oh, one's here. Oh, congratulations. So yeah, that's going to be, uh, I'm just stacking them all up right now. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. That's good thinking. And talking about stacking it all up, I'm sure there's a lot of codes and symbols that are stacked together. So before we jump into the topic, what is doing research of codes and symbols? So really what it is, it's symbol analysis. I, I pretty much, I scour the internet for symbols that haven't really been discussed or that, you know, at least I don't know about, and I learn more about them. And through doing that, I come across you know, I, I try to stick to scholarly articles, um, like firsthand or as close as you can get to firsthand accounts, uh, written accounts of symbols from the Renaissance, the medieval ages, all those things. Uh, and I try to figure out what they mean. That's so cool. So wait, how did you actually get introduced to that? Did you just find a symbol like on a piece of paper on the ground or like stapled to a tree? Like, you know what? I want to learn more about that. <laughs> you know what it was? I, so I'm a Reddit addict, you know? one of those. Uh, and there was a period of time, like two or three years ago, where I was in New York. I was very bored. I was stuck in a, a tiny little room with my partner at the time. And uh, I had nothing else to do. I was unemployed and very depressed. So I was always on the internet. And I came across this one user who um, posted a picture of, his, of a ring that his grandfather had willed to him after he died. And he was wondering more about this ring because onto its surface were etched um, 14 or so symbols. And he wanted to know what those meant. And I was like, well, I'll take a stab at it. That's something I like to do. And I did. And it's something that I've always been interested in. You know, as a kid, I was very much into Indiana Jones, very much into Egypt. I, you know, I was the weird kid at school who'd bring 
pictures of mummies and stuff from this Egypt book that I had as a fifth grader. You know, I'd bring that to school. Somehow I didn't get expelled, but um, (laughs) it's just—it's always been something I've been interested in. Um, So yeah, I took a stab at it, and to this day, I still don't know what half of those symbols mean, but still trying. You know. Did that ever like make you curious to see like your own family stuff, like let's say stuff that your mother, your grandmother, your great grandmother, or great grandparents have? And you're like, oh, I would love to see what this symbol means if they have any. Oh, oh yeah, I, I I get a kick out of all of that stuff. Um, Unfortunately, my family, my family, my immediate family was never close to my elder relatives. Um, They died before I was born, so I kind of I I envy people who get that kind of those. the material inheritance because so much of that is just so overwhelmingly interesting. Um, there was another one, um, uh, that I saw recently on the internet. Somebody had inherited a, uh, a, a Masonic sword. So Ooh. a Freemason sword that had all these symbols on it. And he had inherited that from his grandfather and just things like that. You know, I, I would love to have those types of items. And, to be honest, I, I hoard those types of items when I find them. I'm a frequent antique store shopper, so I'm always going for it. That was going to be my next question. I was going to ask you, did you ever go into an antique store to find this stuff? So that's perfect. You're way ahead of the game. So my following <laughs> question to that is, what is the most interesting thing you found in an antique store? Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, a lot of things, the things that I found were unaffordable to someone like me. But, you know, uh, I'm always interested in weaponry. Um, those, especially, you know, the uh, weaponry that's used specifically for different occasions instead of specifically meant for killing people, it's always etched with different, you know, more interesting ideas that speak to the culture it's from. I, I like looking at those. And I also, of course, enjoy jewelry. Jewelry always has some interesting symbol to it, especially when you get like older than older than the 1800s, you know, but that's hard to come by in an American antique shop. So <laughs> you won't really find it. So, but for the, for the things you do find in the antique shops, some things can be very expensive. Like you said, do you take pictures of them if you're allowed? Oh, absolutely. That's my entire camera roll. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I was recently in Budapest because my sister lived there for a time and uh, the antique stores there are just complete, like filled to the brim with interesting things. And of course, Budapest has an amazing series of statues as well. So my entire camera roll on my phone is just symbols. That is so cool. I, I feel like you have a story in your camera itself. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And you were talking about Budapest as, as a place where you found some stuff. But on that note, where are your preferred regions or even time period to do this research? I can't say I have a well, if I have a preferred region, I would say it's more Western art and just mostly because that's what I'm used to, but also because it has a personal meaning to me. You know, uh, my family, uh, I was raised Catholic. So, of course, everything in Western art and kind of kind of falls back onto Christianity in some way or form. So seeing those symbols and understanding them is almost like understanding a part of my history and my family's history. So I would say that, but as far as periods go, the Renaissance is is such a weird time. The medieval ages, the Renaissance, it's such a weird time. And everyone kind of has an idea of it as being like this, this new age, this really interesting, sophisticated era where people were learning about science and, and literature and all these things. And 
it's really pretty funky, you know, when you get into it. So that's, it's always an adventure to peer into the symbols from the Renaissance because it's not nearly as refined as you would think it would be. So for yourself, you do have a small collection or a big collection of Renaissance, Renaissance things in your house. Out of those things with the symbols on them, how many of those have you actually figured out what the symbols mean? Well, I, I personally don't have any Renaissance items. I wish I did. But um, as far as the symbols that I've looked into, um, I, I love going to art museums and I live close to the the High Museum in Atlanta, which has its fair share of pieces from that era. It's it's little things. Um, there are a lot of symbols about the hands uh, in in Renaissance art and medieval art too. Specifically, I don't know if you see a picture of Jesus. He's always doing specific hand symbols, and a lot of the time that he's just making the symbol for his name, which you know is I H S or I H C, depending on if it's Greek or Latin based, and uh, you know, I, I don't know if I should say this on your show too, but another funny one that I always see is uh, women with um, their breasts exposed and learning about that was an interesting adventure too. But, you know, it all comes down to um, fertility and motherhood and that sort of thing. So really because of, you know, how relatively close that time period was to now, they are easier to find the symbolism behind. So it's not it's not too out there to find those things actually when it comes to just doing the research aspect of them the symbols and the codes what are some key elements you look into so i i try to come up with like a step-by-step process that's it's always kind of easier for me to you know make a list and and check it off as i go what i really do the first thing i do and this is especially true for symbols that are drawn or etched into something is I look at the canvas first. And I would say the canvas is, you know, the material that it's made off on or um, the parameters of the symbol. So for instance, like if you're looking at a um, heraldry, it's going to be in a in a shield shape. And that, depending on what the shield looks like, it comes from a different region in Europe, you know. So looking at things like that first, can it kind of always helps you pinpoint where you should, like how you should narrow I guess what I'm saying is if you look at the canvas first, it helps you understand where the symbols you're looking at may have come from. You know, you could say the same thing about um, jade. Anything on jade probably comes from China. And in that in that same vein, looking at motifs, which are similar to symbols, um, but they're more of a decorative function. They have more of a decorative function. I, I think the, the best example I could come up with is looking at different columns in ancient Rome. You'd be able to tell the time period or the influence based on whether the column was ionic or, or I think the word is, um, I'm looking at Corinthian. So things like that are important to look at first. And then after that, I, I really just look for familiar shapes because so often in symbolism, you have similar shapes that end up meaning the same thing across cultures. The example that comes to mind is, uh, there's this symbol of a snake eating its tail and that's it's very, very old. I think the closest they could find is that it's Greek in origin, but I think it's older than that. But it means eternity. And you can find that symbol or that similar type of symbol, the circle or um, the Shen ring in Egypt, which means eternity. And it, it kind of always has that same vein of symbolism to it. So I look for things like that. Um, and then lastly, I look for things that could look like a script, a form of script. But that can be a little difficult because there are a lot of different cultures and organizations that 
kind of turn script into symbolism. And uh, like, uh, I think the Nazis, you know, used proto-Germanic runes to create some of their flags, like the SS flag was from a proto-Germanic script. So that turned into a symbol, but it comes from a script. So looking at things like that, you know, you kind of have to, you kind of have to be wary of those things. Actually, speaking of which, you're talking about the snake eating its own tail, which is an old symbol, which exists now today still. But on that note, have you ever found a symbol that's been very old, but it has modified through time and came and came back into the full circle? Probably. I. It's hard to, I'm sure there are. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I'm. I'm so sure there are. So many symbols that are ancient are things that are very primal. You know, it's similar with uh, having images of, uh, you know, women, naked women and stuff like that. It always comes back to fertility. I mean, that's the first first statue, first piece of art that was ever found was a fertility goddess. And that consistently comes up in um, modern culture. You know, we see it on everything. So little pieces like that, they will always exist because they are so close to the human spirit, the human reality, I guess. I could be completely wrong, but I, I think I remember reading somewhere or seeing somewhere that paintings and creations back then, they never actually had the people looking directly at you. It was always looking to the side or looking away, never direct eye contact. Is that true? I, you know, I don't know. I've never <laughs> heard that before, <laughs> but now I'm interested. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that would mean. But uh, I just picked your curiosity like, oh, maybe Alex is right or maybe Alex is full of, uh, you know, nonsense, which is <laughs> usually the case. No, no. <laughs> I mean, that, that definitely could be true. There's a lot of symbolism to eyes, um, especially statues and paintings and things. You know, you might be onto something here. But that so there's this there's this interesting thing um, that I read about pretty often. And I think it, it also it, it links to paintings of old and all that stuff. But in modern day, we have such a hard time with um, images like 3D rendered images and computer game characters that look so close to humans because um, they call it the uncanny valley. And a lot of it is in the eyes. You know, if, you, if something looks too real, but you know it's not real, you know, it, it feels very eerie and very uncomfortable. So maybe that uh, kind of links to that in some way or form. You know? Yeah, I think, it was, I think it was like from the Mona Lisa, how it just stares into your soul kind of thing. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> she does. And actually, speaking about symbols, which is the topic of this conversation, is there one <laughs> symbol or code that really speaks to you? Like you just bonded with it. Like, you know what? This is like the one I really feel close to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's an alchemy symbol and it's so alchemy symbols used to be it's, it's not truly a script, but it was more of like a, a short, I wouldn't even say shorthand. I'm not sure exactly how to describe what it is, but when alchemy was being played around with, um, they would have symbols for uh, like silver and summer and um, the times of the year when you were supposed to do something, uh, the moon, the sun, all these things. My favorite symbol is the alchemy symbol for spring, the season of spring. Um, and a lot of that reason is because it's my favorite season, but also it looks a little bit like an E. And to this day, I use it in my signature as an E. So I, that's kind of my calling. It's actually on my website as uh, my brand symbol or a modified version of it. So Okay, now I have to go check out your website after this and just see this E. I have a vivid imagination, but I'm sure it's a lot more vivid than my imagination. <laughs> 
Well, right now it's it's a lot of uh, darkness. I'm trying to <laughs> play with it, make it a little eerie, make it a little mysterious. So, you know, I'm, I'm building it up as we go. Perfect. Uh, well, once it comes out, I'll definitely check it out and share it with the world if you want me to share it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Please do. And when it comes to doing the research itself, do you prefer doing it alone or with other people? So, uh, so I recently found out that I have uh, ADHD, which, you know, makes a lot of sense given my life and uh, more like another puzzle piece to the mystery. But it, it makes sense for me to work alone, at least first, because I'm the type of person that a, I get distracted very easily. So I need, I need a time to just focus on what's right in front of me without talking to people or being interested in what they have to say. Uh, horrible as that sounds. Um, but so, and then on top of that, I also have a tendency to keep going <laughs> there. You know, I, if I start this hobby during the day, I will do it until it's nighttime. Um, you know, I've, I forget to eat sometimes when I'm very interested in something. So it's best for me to work alone. But on top of that, I, um, I find message boards and forums completely invaluable. Like I, I, uh, I frequent different, uh, forums. There's, especially on Reddit, Reddit's a great, it's a great sub for this, you know, like people will post a picture, discuss it. They'll be able to link to different things. Um, so like our symbology, our occult, and our, uh, I think it's just our heraldry are great, great resources for not only finding new and interesting symbols, but talking to people who are close to those symbols. You know, a lot of those message boards are for people who have an object that they've inherited or that they found in their culture that they know a little bit about, but not enough about. So it gives you a start, a starting point to really go off of. So those, those are very helpful. And I've posted them myself, you know, when I've become stuck, <laughs> which is frequent and, uh, just getting little tidbits of information. Like if I need something translated or if I need just some, anything identified, you know, then it really helps. No, you know what? I know where you're coming from because I'm dyslexic. So it's probably the reason why I started podcasting. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. We're in the I same boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's cool. I, I do agree with you on what you said before. And Reddit has been a big source for me to just find guests. But I'm sure for you, like, like you're saying, it can be helpful, but at the same time, not helpful. It's, you got to find the right path to work it out. Oh, definitely. You have to you have to ignore a lot of uh, the excess in order to get to the meat of it, you know. And for you, what would you say is the best part about researching codes and symbols on a personal and an emotional level? You know, for me, and this sounds very corny, but I'm being very honest. For me, it's really the joy of learning. It's it's a tapestry of of history. You know, it's you start in one place and you end up in a completely different part of the world just by looking at one tiny little fragment of the universe. And I think that that's just amazing to me that you can travel so far and learn so much just from one tiny little bit of information. And a lot of that is a testament to the internet and how much no knowledge we've accumulated as a species. But, you know, I, that, that is the most enjoyable part to me. And I think personally, you know, there, and maybe this goes, it's part of the reason, you know, I, I, I don't have older people that I can talk to often. I don't have elder relatives. 
So understanding the ancient part of this world or the older parts that I was not around to experience is just so fascinating to me. And I think it, it links me to this part of humanity that I think I was really lacking. So it kind of almost makes you feel like you lived through that time. You could go through that one person's like, not necessarily struggles, but memories in a way. It's a nostalgic feeling, but it's not your memories. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you see what was important to people at the time in many ways. And a lot of that can be religious, but alternatively, you know, like religion was influenced by what was important to people. And, you know, and it, it, it stays pretty consistent through the ages, but across cultures, it there's variation and you learn a lot about who these people were and you feel close to them because you see the same things in your own life. You know, like, why do you like the things you like? Why, you know, why do we wear Hawaiian shirts that have tiny little boats on them? Just, you know, things like that, you know, that that's something that our culture enjoys, the idea of relaxation. And you, you can see that, like what people thought of as being luxurious back in the day, being, it all kind of comes around. This might be a really odd question, but have you ever considered creating your own symbols to define your life and who you are as a person to be shared for future generations? I have, um, you know, and that's come out in different ways. I, when I was really young, as a total nerd and very obsessed with the Lord of the Rings, and you know, I'd I'd create my own alphabets and scripts that I would use, and that kind of turned into different variations of shorthand that weren't quite very consistent, mostly because I was about 13 years old. So that that kind of came out that way. But yeah, I've played around with making my own symbols these days. But it hasn't been anything, um, I wouldn't say it's quite like a symbol that you can just, like a line drawing or something like that. It's more of, you know, things that I've drawn, tattoos that I want to get, you know, things like that. You know, I design my own, but they are all based off of things that I've learned, you know. The poppy, you know, stands for death. I, that one has come into play a lot. And yeah, you know, here and there, I'll, I'll make up my own little my own little drawings that mean things to me. I bet you have a nice book full of these like creations and I'm sure you date them as well. And then you're like, <laughs> you know, you're going to look back at it like, yeah, this was like, I would imagine you would imagine yourself <laughs> in that mindset of when you created it as well. So that is your own actual nostalgic memory. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what they do. You know, all these little, I have, I have a notebook full of them and, and they really do bring me back to different times in my life. And I'm like, oh yeah, this, this stood for this period in my life when I was young and kind of reckless. And those were the symbols that meant something to me or had that meaning for me. Speaking about being young, I feel like everybody, literally every single human on earth had their own symbols when they were like two or one years old, like just drawing. And that meant the symbol to them. Today, they wouldn't understand what it meant. But back then, yeah. I, you know, I think that's very true. I don't know that much about uh, early behavior and that sort of thing, but there are, I know that there are symbols that are kind of inherent to us and they come out as like basic geometrical shapes, but those very basic geometrical shapes are things that we were trying to make sense of as toddlers and children, you know, and those same geometrical shapes are things that mean a whole span of very complex things, you know, in, in, the world. I think the the Freemasons, I've been reading a lot about them, so they're going to come up a lot during this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but uh, they have the symbol of uh, the squared circle. And the square and the circle are two very common shapes. But the circle itself 
for them is a symbol of of God. And I think I believe, but I don't want to mess this up, so maybe don't <laughs> quote me. <laughs> but you know, those things they have such a complex meaning for this one organization, and for ha- having them be such very simple shapes, it's kind of overwhelming to 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 make the jump when you don't know um, all the history behind the organization or the history about how the symbols came into being. But it happens all the time. That's always fascinating to me. And I'm sure it wasn't easy at first to try to figure out what was the right path to learn all this. So for you, what was your biggest challenge when you first started? Ooh, well, there were a lot. Uh, first of all, I didn't know how to Google properly. And to, in some ways, I still don't. You know, uh, as much as I love the internet and all of the wonders that are on it, it's become very, sort of looking for, as been saturated with the same kind. You know, people will copy articles and post them to their own website or they get permission, whether it's plagiarism, they will copy articles that they've seen, post it on their own site, many times without sources. So there is this kind of plague of pop history that really just saturates the internet completely. Um, And the same can be said for Pinterest. Finding an image or an image's source rather is very, very difficult when you land on a pin, when the only source you have is Pinterest, because then you have to go down this, this trail of where did they get that link from? Where did they get that person get that link from? And eh, you eventually come to some weird pop history site. So it, it can be very trying sometimes when you think that you're on the right track and then you just keep running into the same obstacle over and over again. Um, that's, that's probably the difficult, the most difficult thing that I encountered in the beginning but since then, I've kind of found my own little tips and tricks around that, and it's become much easier. I don't know how it applies for symbols and codes, but you know how your phone, smartphone nowadays, you can put your picture, you're not picture, but you can just like look at something and it'll <laughs> yes. tell you what it is. Is there a technology yes. that does that for symbols yet? And is, if so, is it accurate? So I, I was going to bring up that the, 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 one of my tips and trick is to uh, use Google Lens. I do that frequently when, especially for uh, like images that are paintings and that sort of thing. It's harder with statues and it's harder with line drawings because so many of those symbols, um, things that are etched into stone or written onto paper look so similar. And because they often, they're not super complex. There's not a lot of I don't know. Well, for whatever reason, Google Lens doesn't really help me in that regard. When I'm trying to find a a line drawing or a script, it doesn't really help me with that. But in in terms of paintings and actual drawings, it helps a lot. So like I I recently found, I follow this Instagram handle called uh, Morbid Anatomy, which sounds scary, but it's not that scary. And uh, they, they were looking for this very complex painting and I used Google Lens to kind of backtrace it. And it was from a medical journal that produced a lot of drawings from the Renaissance. So using it for things like that works very, very well. And hopefully it gets better in the future, right? It's oh, still developing. I would love it. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it there. Google, if Google, if you're listening, Emmy wants it to become better. So <laughs> if Emmy wants it, you better make it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Don't shout it too loud, though. I thought about, I thought about uh, trying to write to them and get some money for the idea. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is just an endorsement. We're supporting the idea. This exactly. is two people who support it now. 
Exactly. <laughs> and uh, for you, what is your current biggest challenge? So my current biggest challenge is still that ring that uh, that one user posted so long ago. I I stay awake thinking about it. <laughs> I search for it endlessly. My biggest fear is that it was something so personal to this person that they made the symbols themselves. And uh, I'll just never know what they mean. But researching is really fun. So I'm just going to keep at it until I figure it out. It's that one ring that rules them all. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Lord of the Ring pun or quote or whatever it's called right there. So for people who don't know, yes, <laughs> I like Lord of the Rings too. <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, has collecting and turn, collect, sorry, has researching codes and symbols ever stressed you out? Oh, all the time. All the time. Um, I get very overwhelmed and a lot of that is just because the there's so much information and trying to organize it and keep on the same track is so difficult. You know, you'll like I said, you start in one place and you end up across the globe. And if you start researching one symbol, you'll inevitably find something that you've never heard before. And you'll want to research that and you'll want to learn more about that. And before you know it, you've spent about 12 hours doing, you know, the exact opposite of what you set out to do. So keeping on track and uh, that not being overwhelmed. Those, those are things that stress me out. <laughs> so. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you have a really good like database and system in your computer on how you organize everything. I do my absolute best. I would say, you know, I'm one of those, those people. I, my computer is organized chaos. <laughs> so I have about, <laughs> I use about three different programs to kind of organize these things. The main one is uh OneNote, Microsoft OneNote. I found that to just be the, the simplest, easiest way to do everything I need to do. So shout out to Microsoft OneNote. But that really helps me. There you go. That's another uh, thing. Microsoft, if you want to keep getting better, Emmy will support you. And then if you want to support Emmy for her <laughs> research, you know, she's there for you, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And now for a very important question that I ask on every episode, what are some misconceptions about people who do research of codes and symbols? You know, I think the, the biggest misconception I constantly see, and this is just judging from the forums that I'm a part of, you don't have to believe or have a spiritual connection to certain symbols. I, I see a lot of people who are like, uh, you know, I, I have family who have, say the same thing. You know, they're like, why are you looking at that demonology or, or, or something? You know, it's not that evil symbol. They get It makes them nervous because symbols have, have this intrinsic power to them because they are archaic and they are mysterious. But you don't have to believe in things and you don't have to worship them in order to understand them or want to know more about them. And I think I, to be clear, I, I truly believe that neglecting the research of those things because you fear knowing about them or you fear that your own belief system is in conflict with those things. I think you do yourself a disservice and the world a disservice when you do that. And in many ways, I think you can be a better, you can do better research when you look at things without the bias that comes with a deep or spiritual connection to those things. Um, and that's, you know, to be clear, that's not always true. There are a lot of religious and spiritual people who have made profound headway into this field. I just mean, like, you should never 
neglect like somebody's research on a topic because they don't belong to that belief system. So in that in general, you know, I would say you don't have to believe in something in order to find it interesting. The key word is definitely keeping an open mind because humans are curious creatures. We're super curious and this is proven by kids. Kids will stick their finger in dirt. They'll eat stuff to see if it's tasting good like dirt. Why am I keep going back to dirt? They put their hand on their stove. Oh, it's hot. Okay, I won't do that again. But it's in our nature to be curious and just the open mind aspect. As we get older, we get more closed, more isolated. So it's good that people like you are just curious to learn. And regardless of what you believe in, you're like, you know what? I still want to learn about this because this is being open-minded. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's really important. And, uh, you know, I, I went to college for anthropology and you know, I never, I never ended up doing anything with it. I'm a digital analyst now, but, uh, I think the most important thing I learned was to be very cautious and, um, wary of your own bias towards your own culture, because so frequently, like you said, you end up applying it to other cultures and you end up being fearful of them or, uh, just not willing to understand in general. So I try to keep that in mind in every endeavor. Believe it or not, I am super close-minded when I do these podcast episodes. I don't want to <laughs> listen to anything. <laughs> of course. No, I love learning. Of course. I love being open-minded. It'd be pretty hard to make this podcast if I was close-minded. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, this is a very tough question, but do you believe certain symbols created in modern times will last the test of times just like old symbols or they'll just be a lost art? I, I definitely think that they will stand the test of time. Primarily because there is a whole batch of research that's devoted to this topic. Um, and I may butcher the pronunciation of this because I've only read it and I've never said it before. But I think it's called semiotics. And, uh, you, you know, I was reading about this because there's a, a team of researchers who've been trying to figure out how to best signify to people in the future where radioactive waste is buried. And I think that is absolutely fascinating you know, to try to symbolize to people, don't touch this, you might die, you know, <laughs> that, that's, that's fascinating. But, you know, and I think, just like in olden times, the skull and crossbone, that has always meant death. And it's always meant be careful, be wary, this is a, a mortal situation. And I, similarly, I think things will stand the test of time, just like that. But back to also, how so many symbols are primal, I was thinking, uh, the other day about the symbolism, especially with body symbolism, I think is so interesting. And one that always comes to mind is there's, I don't know if you've seen the movie Halloween, but <laughs> the, the, the bad guy, uh, Michael Myers, he does this head tilt and it's iconic because, and it's been redone to death in every single movie afterwards. Every horror movie does the iconic head tilt and that to me is one that will stand the test of time because it is so it it signifies to us a a loss of humanity it reminds us of an animalistic you know wonderment you know you, you see a dog when they don't understand something they kind of tilt their head you know and you see it with birds you see it with all these different animals that don't understand humans they'll look at us like what are you doing I don't understand. And that's their way of signifying it. And seeing that in a movie performed by a human and then to have it repeated so often in different horror movies, you know, it, it's little things like that, that we're going to see for all the time because they speak to something that we already inherently know. I didn't think of that until you just mentioned it. But yeah, you're right. Body symbols is something that 
we all have and but then i guess in different areas of the world one movement can mean something different like I'd, i would say like a thumbs up wouldn't necessarily mean the same thing in every country or the peace sign yeah. and uh but that's, yeah. that's a really cool concept like not just like art and scriptures but also the actual human body being a symbol itself wow this is getting really deep <laughs> yeah it does it does it goes really deep like i, I didn't know that uh you, you know I, I learned recently that depending on where you're, you have moles on your face, it could signify something about you to different cultures. So it's, it's really, it's, it's out there. Everything about your body or the little things that you do has a meaning in some culture, place or time. I'm sure of it. Okay. I'm definitely gonna go take a picture of myself and then just <laughs> de like, just analyze my body and see how my body is interpreted in every country around the world. <laughs> exactly. It's fascinating. You'll learn so much about yourself. Oh, that's cool. And speaking about learning, what has researching codes and symbols taught you in life? You know, I think, I think it's just taught me to always keep an open mind and to always wonder about things. You know, like we said before, it's always important to keep an open mind, but it's one thing to understand what that means. It's another thing entirely to practice it every day, just through intuition. And I think getting to that point for me is really important. I wouldn't say I'm there yet. I don't know if anybody ever could truly be there, but keeping an open mind in every aspect of my life really just opens me up to experiencing things more thoroughly. You know, like I, I, I spoke about Budapest earlier, but when I was there uh, in, when was I there? In the summer. <laughs> I was there in the summer and I went to St. Simon's Basilica, which is this huge, huge cathedral or basilica, I guess, in the middle of Budapest. There are so many statues inside of it. And uh, they all had, you know, obviously Catholic origins, which I personally am very familiar with. But I came across a statue that of, of St. Francis, and St. Francis is such an iconic Catholic saint. You know, I, I've had statues of St. Francis on top of every pet cemetery I've, my family has ever had. He's the saint. He's the patron saint of life and animals and things like that, nature. So I've always seen him, and he's always portrayed with birds and animals, little squirrel friends, you know. It's, it's always adorable. But this time, you know, I saw what I thought was him. But instead of any animals, he was portrayed with a skull at the bottom of his at the bottom of his robes. And that to me, you know, at, at first I was like, well, that can't be St. Francis. That can't be St. Francis because he's the patron saint of life, not death. But, you know, I went and I researched it. And sure enough, it was St. Francis. And he of course, is the patron, patron saint of animals. But he also was kind of a local weirdo. <laughs> he, uh, you know, during his time, way back when, he called the elements of the earth and the universe his brothers and sisters. And death was included, it was sister death. And he would frequently put a skull on top of the table at breakfast and talk to his followers about how death was was a friend to life and not something to be feared, but it was in his, not words, but the sentiment was that sister death was a messenger and a friend of God, and it was a part of life. So in that way, because of what he represents, the skull was very fitting, but to someone like me, who'd only ever seen him painted in a certain light and who has a very Western idea of death, I would have never 
put those things together. That's interesting. So in that case, has it ever made you, after you saw that, did it ever make you rethink the other things you found and say, well, this is what I thought this symbol meant. Is there a possibility there's other interpretations of how this symbol is perceived? Oh, absolutely. I, I live in fear, especially with this ring that I'm working on. I live in fear that I'm, I'm just running down the wrong trail because, you know, like I said before, so many symbols look so similar and are similar in meaning. Uh, right now I'm running down the trail that it's a, a, a Freemason ring, but it could be a something from Hebrew mysticism, which has its own links to Freemason, you know? So it's, it all kind of wraps in on itself. And I am always trying to be wary that I'm going in the wrong direction and trying to keep that open mind. When I come across a symbol that's shared by different organizations and groups and cultures, I try to look at all of them at the same time, which, which also makes it overwhelming. But it's very important. The great thing about this hobby is one that you can be very patient with and you can do these do this for many, many years to come. And as the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like like I said, it, it all comes in, it comes back on itself. You know, I, I learn about one group and then it applies to a different group down the way. This might sound crazy because we're talking about like symbolism and like things around us, whether it's paintings, people. But this might sound a little crazy from my end, but sometimes I feel like trees. It's the way they grow is a symbol. I'm like, why would it grow that way? What? Oh, <laughs> that's just my crazy you, mind thinking. You are, no, you are not alone. There are there are a lot of cultures that have specific meaning for different trees. You know, and it, a lot of that comes out and also how the tree is named. But just going off of my knowledge of Christianity, there are a lot of different plants and trees that have, of course, biblical uh, symbolism. We all know the apple tree, which could been number of different fruits at the time, but things like uh, the dogwood tree or the shamrock, things like those, those all come back and have specific meanings to people based on how they grow or based upon when they grow or where they grow. So I would love to do a piece on trees and plants, but unfortunately that's a topic that is often, again, plagued by pop history. So it's hard to find the exact origin of things. But uh, I, I do love, I love the symbolism of nature. I don't know if this is considered a symbol, but I learned something recently that there's a specific type. I think it was a plant. I don't know if it was a flower, but it was a leaf that actually resembles a hummingbird. And not just like vaguely, but very, very vividly resembles a hummingbird. And it was like a defense mechanism. That's interesting. I think I know what you're talking about. But I, I can visualize it. I think it's like a tropical plant, if I'm not mistaken. But I don't, I can't quite remember the name of it. So I don't know if that's considered a symbolism, but I just found that cool. Like this, the symbol of a hummingbird, it means protection because it's going to protect itself from predators that might eat it. Yeah. Uh, so that's just, my mind just traveling everywhere right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how it works, you know. But, but it is a symbol because humans are animals, you know, we... Symbolism started as basically a way for our brains to, um, how do I say this? Find meaning? I read a really interesting, well, to find meaning, but also as a, a warning system. And not necessarily a warning system that means that there's danger or something like that. But, you know, our brains are unique. And I think the things that separate us from other animals is our ability to think in the abstract. And I read a really interesting book on this topic a while ago. It has a title that might throw some people away, but it's called Why God Won't Go Away. And it talks about the nature of the human mind 
and how we apply abstract thought to our own reality and how that benefits us. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily say that God isn't real or anything like that. It says that all of these are a part of the human experience. So the, so symbolism was initially a way for us to give a quick, all right, I, I guess it's symbolism was initially a, a means by which we like had it. I don't even know how to try to I, I get what you're saying though. I, say. I completely understand what you're <laughs> yeah. saying. It's, it's like a thing yeah. you can't actually explain. There's no a word in the English language yet to explain <laughs> that feeling, but I get, I get what you mean. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure someone has explained <laughs> it in much better way than I have read the book though, because it kind of touches on this lightly. But it, it is. It started as a way for us to quickly see things for the abstract meaning instead of just the um, literal meaning of something. Um, so, like you, you know, if you saw a footprint in the dirt, as if you were an animal, if you saw a footprint in the dirt, would that signify to you to be afraid because there might be a predator around? You know, does that mean danger to you? You know, that 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 sort of thing. You know, and so we've just applied. We've as we've grown, as we've become more intelligent, we've just applied this to different circumstances in our life. So symbols have grown to mean protection or or love and something because it's a quick way for us to understand reality. I suppose that's the way to say it. And reality is complex. <laughs> Very complex. <laughs> and uh, for you, do you want to present this hobby to the world or use it more as an escape from reality? Uh, speaking about reality. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I want to present it to the world. You know, I I love doing it, but, you know, I have this saying to myself and the saying isn't quite set in stone yet, but the mantra I kind of repeat to myself is finished work is for the world, unfinished work is for myself. It allows me to kind of go off on these tangents that don't really produce anything that I can present. But when I do find something, I think it is worth it, it, it or it deserves to be shared could be the worst thing on earth, but it deserves to be shared. It deserves to be looked up by somebody somewhere in the world. So that kind of fuels my my experience. Yeah, it's kind of the idea that you might not be able to figure out. I'm sure you would, but we might not be able to figure out something, but the next generation or the next person who picks it up will at least have a better start with the information that you found. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I like to think of it that way too. So do you have any word of advice for anybody who might be interested in this hobby? Well, definitely get Google Lens for sure. <laughs> it's it's a uh, you'll love it, and it helps so much. But honestly, my advice would be to organize and organize before you start. You know, kind of it's not going to stay the exact same way, but have an idea of what you're going to do. There are a lot of sources on the internet that will tell you how to organize files and find the way that works best for you. Sort your images, tag them. You're going to come across a lot, and. Uh, use, yeah, you know, I'd say make sure to save your sources because so often they will get lost in the series of tabs that you bring up. Is it weird that I already, I just downloaded Google Lens as you were saying that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm, no, like, I'm glad you did. <laughs> it's so helpful. I had a stupid idea in mind and it's really stupid. I was like, I'm going to download Google Lens and take a picture of myself and see what that symbolizes. It's like, 
Oh, you're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> the, the whole system's gonna crash. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely gonna find a lot of uh, pictures of yourself from accounts that you thought you deleted a long time ago. Oh, jeez. That's what you'll find. <laughs> well, since I'm bald and round, round-headed, it probably just show pictures of a bowling ball. You know, with the two eye sockets and the nose and all that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I've asked this question at the beginning of the episode, but I'll ask it again here. Do you have any social media links, websites, or projects, or anything that you'd love to share, and people can come show some support? Yes, I I, I am listed as Mythic Materials on Instagram, and actually, now that I remember it, Mythic Materials on Pinterest as well. And you can go and find my website by googling Mythic Materials. I don't have a set URL yet, but there will be one in the future. So look out for that. Perfect. I'll put that in the description below so people can come show some love, learn more, and maybe even pick up your hobby because, well, it'll become their hobby, but you know, share the same love, share the hobby, right? Absolutely. <laughs> please, please do. Because the more of us that are out there, the, you know, the more we'll find. Yeah. And then you could share the knowledge and it just becomes more solidified. Hopefully it's accurate. So take your time doing the research. Don't just go with phony information like a pineapple sitting on a rooftop means that it's the end of the world. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> if it is, and yeah, that's weird. But uh, yeah, speaking of other weird things, do you have any questions for me about researching codes and symbols? Ooh. Well, have you ever found one that you're very interested in? I don't, you know what? Kind of. And this is like more of a surreal experience as a kid. But you know, as kids, we all have those weird like, well, this is bigger than life. But I remember this one time, I was with my grandfather at his cottage and he went away to go do something in the dark and I was just standing in front of the door and I see this creature. The lights were the lights were off for some reason, but I see this creature standing right in front of me. It had one blue eye and one green eye. Ooh. And I'm like, what kind of creature can do that? And it, it was taller than me. It wasn't like a wolf. It was kind of like a deer size, but it wasn't a deer. It, it didn't move like a deer. And then I had a flashlight in my hand, but I didn't think to just raise it up to look at it. I was just like in this surreal stance of like this has to this is like this means something so i don't know if that's considered a, a symbol but that's like one that's just ingrained in my head that that is very creepy first <laughs> of all <laughs> but you know uh well I, I don't know what it was but i will say that there are you know monsters and uh, supernatural creatures have all all these different symbols across time and history and i'm curious exactly which one this one would match up to but also and i think the term for it is heterochromia heterochromia but I, I could be completely wrong about that but it means two different colored eyes and that has always been a symbol of uh like a mystical nature or like a you know it's often used for people or creatures that are malformed or have two spirits and you can you can even see this in uh, if you're a fan fan of Game of Thrones, the character of Tyrion in the books had two different colored eyes, and it is said that it's because you know he's also has dwarfism in the books. He also has different patches of hair, and they think I don't know conspiracy is that he you know he's made up of two different uh, DNA or, or twins that merged in the womb. But again. It's the the idea of this dual nature of a person. So I don't know what you saw, but <laughs> maybe they had two spirits intermingled into this one body. But interesting. It felt like we were connected for a moment. I, and once again, I could have been a creature with brown eyes. But for me, I vividly remember one blue eye and one green eye. And it was, yeah, it was. And I don't know why I never lifted, lifted up the light 
I could have easily done it, but it was just like a good, like five, like around seven seconds of just the creature and I staring at each other. That is, that is so scary. <laughs> As a kid, I'm like, whoa. But if an adult saw that, I was like, what are you doing, child? Run. <laughs> oh my goodness. If I was a kid, I would have, I would have ran out of there so fast, but you know, you're a brave kid. Well, there was another situation <laughs> yeah. where it, in Barbados, uh, I was looking in the bush. My dad was looking from the top of the hill and he sees me just stop moving. And then he looks, apparently there's a wild dog that just stared at me. And then I stared at it. And then in the split second, I turned around and ran and the wild dog chased me. So my dad ran down the hill to scare off the dog because he's bigger than the dog. But I just kept on running. I was four years old or something, five or six or something like that. But I just kept running. I didn't look back to see if my dad was okay. But in that moment, I'm like, yep, yeah, I'm in danger. Run. Just keep running. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That's scary. Yeah, that's crazy. So I guess I knew the difference of how I felt in danger with that dog compared to that blue eyed, green eyed creature. So, yeah. So for that, you were just, you were just mystified yeah. and interested and intrigued. I get that. Yeah. That's very cool. <laughs> also, I was an odd child. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there you have it. Another body with hobby. Thank you so much, Amy, for coming on and just listening to me rant about my weird childhood, but hopefully people learned more about <laughs> your interesting hobby of symbolism and different codes. I loved it. I hope people who listen, get it, get into it and just learn a lot more. Me too. Me too. Well, I've really enjoyed this discussion. I'm looking forward to hearing it and I'm looking forward to hearing uh, the other interviews that you have on your podcast. It's, it's a great hobby. Yes. My, your hobby. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a hobbyist of hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's great. I love it. So if you guys want to learn more about Emmy, you can go check her out in the descri description below. I'll put all the information there. So it'll be very easy to find. Go show her some love. She's a lovely person. And if you'd like to be on my podcast or have any questions at all, you can send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. And if you like the podcast, you know, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or anywhere you can leave reviews, even on a lamppost outside, leave a review on that. I don't think it would be very helpful for anybody, but yeah, there it is. Uh, if you want to show some more support, you could also, uh, I have some merchandise I sell on Redbubble and I also have a Patreon if you're interested in that as well. So once again, thank you so much, Emmy. Thank you. It's been nice talking to you. So until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care. <laughs>